Hello and welcome to Dear Franny, the podcast of uncommon conversations about love. I'm your host, Francesca Hoagie. Today I have an awesome conversation with Julia Armet. Julia is a leadership coach and she works in the matchmaking industry. And I'm going to let her describe her role because it's a very unusual one and she can do a better job of it than I can. And I will just preview this conversation by saying if more people in the love industry were to adopt Julia's approach to love and to intimacy and to purpose, then we would have many more people who are personally fulfilled and we'd have many more fulfilling relationships. So what she is talking about and what she is doing in the world is really powerful and I am excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Julia. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Fran, thank you. I'm just... I'm just overwhelmed with ideas. I have so much to talk about today and I feel really excited about it. Oh, okay. This is going to be great. It's going to be a good one. I can feel it. Me too. (laughs) So I want to start with you describing what you do and how you came to do it because you have such a unique career trajectory and what you do right is so unique. You know, among matchmakers, it's unique. Among coaches, it's unique. And I just want to I want you to describe that a bit because I find it totally fascinating and you totally fascinating. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I find matchmakers fascinating. And interestingly, I don't really identify as a matchmaker, as a coach. I'm really an outlier in the relationship industry, but my whole life has really followed the thread of connection. My role today is I'm the director of community at Talkify, which is a national matchmaking company where we have hundreds of matchmakers located around the country. But my journey to getting there, it's really been, again, following that thread of connection. I am an identical twin. And so my life question has always been, who am I? I've always had mirrors and I've always had people who I saw myself in. So it's just been this life journey of just being curious about people. And so when I went to school, I studied identity. And after graduating from NYU's Gallatin School, I thought to myself, what did I want to do? And I was just at that existential crisis of, I don't even know what I want to do with my talents, my gifts. And I found myself in service. And so I started off in the service industry, literally in food and beverage. And I really mastered the art of relationship building. And after being in hospitality for about four years, I said to myself, I'm not fulfilled and I really want to make a bigger difference. So I met my childhood icon, E. Jean Carroll on Craigslist. (laughs) She's amazing. But I met her on Craigslist. And how did that happen? What do you mean you met her on Craigslist? I went on to Craigslist. And I was looking for a role that would allow me to have freedom and it would allow me to make a difference. And she was looking for matchmakers. And I thought, I am a matchmaker. And there was that moment of recognition where I said, this is a role that I could see myself succeeding in. And so she interviewed me, she hired me, and I ended up becoming a matchmaker at the age of 24 quickly demonstrating a really good read on people. And the company asked me back in 2014 if I could step into a leadership role and essentially build a roster of talent. So over the past six years, I've built a roster of talent. And the talent are people who have the passion, 
around love and they want to make a difference in the world. And I find people from all over the world who become matchmakers and they use our collective community to um, serve their clients. So it's just a pretty cool journey of building a community. And today I have different communities that I'm involved with. Outside of Talkify, I am the founder of Higher Playbook, which is taking what I do at Talkify, which is build community and essentially empower thought leaders who have the platforms to make a difference. And just a really cool way that I've stepped into this leadership role. Wow. First of all, I I have such envy that you became a matchmaker at the age of 24. (laughs) Oh, I was young. I was really young. And I really wish that, I don't know, somebody had discovered me. I wish that you had been a person who was like, hey, you you seem like a people person. You seem like you can make connections. Have you thought about matchmaking? Because I wish that was something that I started far before I did. That's so cool. That's really amazing. I guess right now when you meet people and they're like, oh, so what do you do for work? I mean, what's your like elevator pitch for your job? I'm a leader coach. I tell people I'm a leadership coach and ultimately I don't lead with matchmaking. I also don't lead with coaching, but I talk about leadership and I talk about energy. My background in matchmaking and my background in coaching has given me a lot of skills, but ultimately what I really do is I create opportunities for people. And so when I look out in the world and people inspire me, I follow that and I basically collect people and I collect people who are interesting. They have platforms, they have gifts to share. And what I really do is I help people take their visions and bring them down to reality. I don't label myself. And I think that's definitely something rooted in knowing how it feels to be labeled. Yeah. Yeah. And also being an identical twin, I can imagine that has also formed this real creativity that you have in in really forging your own path and being somebody who is totally unique in what you do and how you do it. Absolutely. It's definitely one of those gifts. When you think about just your natural born gifts, being a twin, when you always have just a constant mirror, it allows you to develop intuition, allows you to develop empathy, it allows you to develop synergy and like you said, creativity, it also brings up that spiritual dilemma of who am I? And I have asked myself that question from a very young age. And I knew um, as a kid that I was different. And it was really a matter of taking ownership of my differences and just stepping into my authenticity and not being afraid of just social ostracism because that definitely happens when you are a twin and you're not the same and people compare you it developed in me a resilience at a very young age yeah wow actually just out of curiosity what does your sister do career-wise she's interesting i'm gonna use an expression we're both like free agents so when i say we're both like free agents (laughs) yeah We are entrepreneurs and um, Sarah's at the intersection of fashion and home. That's what I'll say. I feel like her professional identity is something that um, she can personally speak to. For me, I use the expression free agent because what I see in her is also what I see in myself, which is a leadership quality, value of freedom, and a driver mentality to really just forward the action. And we've both always been that way. I graduated um, high school valedictorian and she's salutatorian. And that's a fun fact to just kind of demonstrate our personalities. Wow. 
<laughs> that is wow. <laughs> I'm curious about what do you see in people? Like when you say that when you find people who really inspire you, like what are those qualities that you find so inspiring? Love that question. I look for people who have powerful presence, passion, and they ultimately have a higher purpose. So you can tell that they are high conscious and they are not afraid to question the status quo. And um, typically talent like whether it's an athletic talent or whether it's a creative talent, I'm inspired by people who have natural born gifts and have the ability to practice those gifts and the discipline to really master those gifts. So mm. I'm the type of person who will walk up to a stranger and be like, you're really talented. Who are you? And I think that sometimes <laughs> I see the talent in people before they might see it in themselves. Wow. So you just pick up on that energy. That's like your superpower. I guess so. I, I definitely do sense energy. Energy is a concept that I spoke about at a very young age. And it was my way of being able to communicate the intuitive hits that I was having. At the time, I didn't necessarily know how to articulate the intuitive gifts, but it's always just been the sense of who's high conscious or who was operating on a more surface level. And so my whole life's challenge has been meeting people where they are and then being able to share some of the knowledge that I have, whether it's something that maybe I shouldn't know because it's just an intuitive insight. That's really been my journey of knowing I'm not wrong, but rather sometimes the information that I was channeling was information that was future forward. It's definitely been an asset, but at the same time, a journey to navigate that. I'm so excited to talk to you about intuition. I've been thinking so much about this, you know, because you saw on Facebook, because I, I came out of the closet on Facebook with my, <laughs> with my obsession with human design. <laughs> I loved seeing that. Um, and for those of you who are listening who have no idea what that is, because most people don't, I actually have yet to meet anyone who, when I say, have you heard of human design there that they said, yes, most people are like, no, what is that? Is that like, <laughs> yeah. you know, smart home design? Like, is that er ergonomic, like <laughs> furniture or something? <laughs> like, no, no, that's like, logical, but that's not what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know, human design is a, it's a system, it's a science, it's a framework, but it's basically, I mean, it's also, I'm working on how I describe it as well, because it's not that easy to describe, but it's a framework by which it's the map of your soul, the map of your purpose, the, the map of your specific energetic makeup. And I know that sounds very woo-woo, and it is. However, what's really fascinating about human design is as I've been spreading the gospel of human design and, you know, reading people's charts, it's like even the most like cynical, non-woo-woo people are like, wow, that totally describes me. Like, I... It's so cool. It, they're like, wow, that's... What do you mean? How can you know that? <laughs> you know? It's so eye-opening, too. It's so eye-opening, and I personally have found it so validating because there are so many things about myself my entire life that I've judged as like, why am I like this? Like, why can't I be more like all these other people that I know? And like, why don't I have as much energy as other people? Or why am, you know, does my hustle not result in the same outcomes as other people who are doing the same hustle? And all these things, and I was like, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, wow. And now that I've discovered human design and learned my energy type, which I'm a projector, yeah, so... So um, as you know, and anybody who's listening, uh, human design, everybody 
everyone is one of five different energy types and they are manifester, generator, manifesting generator, projector, and reflector. And I'm a projector. And the way that projectors work in the world is that we're meant to be guides and we're not meant to work a lot. And we are, our strategy, our life strategy is to wait for the invitation. We are not the people who are supposed to go out and hustle and make shit happen. We are people who are supposed to go really deep into our expertise and become so expert and become visible at being expert. So other people can be like, hey, you, you seem like you know what you're talking about. I want to work with you. I have this opportunity for you, et cetera, et cetera. That's very contrary to the programming that I think we have in our culture in general and especially in business and in entrepreneurship. So anyway, this is a whole long tangent. But the reason that I'm getting back to intuition, because this is what I really want to talk to you about. And actually, what is your energy type? I'm a generator. My um, guiding force would be the gut response. So it makes complete sense with the intuition. Yeah. I have total like gut intuition envy (laughs) because, (laughs) because that's not how my intuition speaks to me. And I think that it's really interesting because most of the world are generators like yourself, right? And most of the world are people who have that gut intuition, that like gut yes or no. It's if you don't have that, you're like, well, how, how do I know? Like, how does my intuition speak to me? So, so you really relate to that being like, if you're presented with a choice between two options, your gut tells you exactly which one to choose. Yeah. And what's really cool about what you said, the word validation of the human design was when I learned my human design and I was told by the practitioner that it was going to be a, uh-huh or a, uh-uh. And I was guided to make decisions off of uh uh-huh or uh uh-uh. It just was, again, one of those moments of, okay, yes, this makes perfect sense to me. I know that sometimes in a data-driven role, if you're looking at just the company that I'm at, there's so many decisions that we make based on data. And yet I'm at the crux of relationship building, which is a highly intuitive skill. My decisions and my beliefs are driven by intuition and that can come up against some of the data-driven decisions for the highest good. I really believe sometimes your intuition speaks through for the highest good and it's really guided me when I graduated NYU and I went into service. A lot of people said, you graduated from NYU and you're going to go into service? And I said, yeah, it feels right. And just being able to trust the gut instinct has just been a guiding force throughout my whole journey professionally. That's amazing. I don't think that our intuition ever leads us astray. Oh, and I think it's a genius. I think it's so cool to see yeah. in retrospect, even how your intuition guides you in life. It is so cool. It's one of my favorite things to do, actually, <laughs> just to reflect and be like, oh my God, how do you use your intuition? So the way that my intuition speaks to me, and so in human design, it's called, I have what's called splenic authority. And so that means that my intuition speaks to me in whispers. Oh, cool. So... So the kind of challenging thing with that type of intuition is that it's easy to ignore yeah. because it's not that it's not an immediate gut response like you have. It's more of like I call my intuition my suspicion <laughs> because the way it speaks to me is like I kind of I'll kind of get an idea like I just feel like I'm supposed to do this or I just feel like there's a reason why this happened. Like it's always this kind of just this suspicion that I have in my mind because now that I understand what it is and how powerful it is, I whenever I have that like hmm, I just think that maybe or what about like I just I know to trust it. It's totally guided me and there have been 
so many times where I have ignored it in the past because I've just been like, well, you know, I don't know. That seems doesn't seem practical or I don't know if that's possible or, you know, I, I had a lot of conditioning telling me how I had to be in the world and what I had to do career wise and all of these things. So I overrode my intuition at a lot of points in my life. I definitely suffer as a result of doing that. But then I can look at those moments where it really did break through my stubbornness and or my lack of awareness and I'm like oh thank god I listened to myself when it came to this or that or the other yeah it's so powerful and it's cool to even communicate it like a whisper too if you were in a coaching conversation with somebody and you just say a thought is just coming through let me just put it out there and see if it resonates with you because if you have a whisper and you can build your trust with it yeah Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens. Whenever I'm when a coaching session, it happens all the time. Like I'll just, I just get this. So my client will be telling me something. They'll be telling me a story or whatever. And I just, that whisper comes in my head. It's like, I just have a feeling, <laughs> just have a suspicion. I'm like, let me ask you something. And yeah, whenever I have that and I share it with someone, they're always like, yeah, holy shit. How did you know that? And it's bizarre, but that's how powerful we are. So in terms of matchmaking, and I, I really want to talk about your philosophy of that. And as you know, and you and I, we we met how a long time ago, I guess at this point. You bet, I think it was back in 2014. Yeah. And it was when you were still matchmaking at that I point. Was. You weren't doing coaching. Yeah. And um, I was matchmaking as well at that time. Mm-hmm. So it was before we kind of shifted and really stepped into what we're doing today. It was just cool back then because there wasn't as many matchmakers and it was just like half a decade ago. Yeah. But I think just over the course of the past decade with the rise of more of the apps, you definitely have also seen a surge of matchmakers and people who are essentially looking to just give people another option. Yeah. So it's um just a cool thing to be able to be a part of that shift in the culture. It is cool. And it's actually, yeah, it's so surprising. Like, I mean, I remember when I first found out that matchmaking was a career, <laughs> like a real career. Yeah. I think we all have one of those moments. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, what? Oh my God, what are you talking about? I want to do that. And when I first, because, you know, I used to be a lawyer, that was my previous career. And when I first transition from law to matchmaking people were like are you crazy like what are you talking about what do you mean you're gonna be a matchmaker like that sounds so the only matchmaker most people (laughs) had ever heard of was well either fiddler on the roof um or (laughs) or the millionaire matchmaker but the millionaire matchmaker seemed like oh this is just like some crazy tv lady not like this is a real job but now people are like oh yeah matchmaking like everyone gets it now um which is really cool to see the awareness how that shifted in such a short amount of time and you know for me the reason that I stopped matchmaking was because I felt that most of the people who came to matchmaking Mm. were coming with a sort of shopping list mentality and I didn't see matchmaking clients as always having the flexibility to really be open to, okay, what's really important? What do I need to be fulfilled in a relationship? What am I bringing to a relationship? How do I feel about myself? All of the things that I believe that are, are the most important questions to ask yourself. So I'm really curious because you are so conscious and you are so intuitive. And how do you deal with that challenge? Do you think, do you see that challenge with clients or do you think that that's changing now? Like, tell me what's going on with matchmaking these days. (laughs) What I find so incredible about being honestly at a high level observing dating culture, because I'm not 
in the trenches with the matchmakers. I'm watching the matchmakers interact with their clients and being able to see the social dynamics at play. And what I realize is a lot of the time people do have blocks that are their own inner blocks. But the cool part about putting them out there in the dating game is as they go out there and they're triggered and their inner beliefs come up and they're thrown out there and they come face to face with what are often the limiting beliefs that get in the way of their success. It's those dates that they go out on that give them the moments to really look at themselves. And so over the years, I've really shifted my strategy in terms of who I hire as matchmakers. And in the past two years, I've hired a lot of coaches recognizing that as people navigate their dating journeys, it's less about the people that they're meeting and more about the personal 100%. discovery that happens along the way. And so mm. I say, play the system to change the system. And that could apply to the individual and thinking about just the way that their patterns are operating. But it also is referring to dating culture at large and the way that dating culture at large is such a filtering culture and people have lists. But at the end of the day, it's coming back to through every single date experience, it's an opportunity to inspire expansion and to inspire a new way. And I know that the matchmakers in terms of their leadership, they're able to raise the awareness with every single client that they work with. So I lead the matchmakers and I talk to the matchmakers very conceptually about these concepts and I talk about social politics a lot, realizing that our matchmakers are the change agents. Our matchmakers are the ones who are able to ask the questions for the clients to arrive at a deeper understanding of themselves and ultimately go back out there in the dating game and just experience what they really want, which is connection, love. And I think at the same time, just that deep understanding with another human being. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I love everything that you're saying. And this is a complete paradigm shift from the old matchmaking model. Absolutely. Everyone who is working with any of the matchmakers, any of your team are very lucky to have this level of conscious awareness. That's fantastic. I love that. I love what you said. You said, um, what was it? Play the game, be in the game. What is that? Play the game to change? Oh, play the system to change the system. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Break that down for me a little bit more. That's been a philosophy my whole life. When you go back to education and you think about just the system of education, I was labeled and I was restricted and I was told that I had learning differences and I didn't have learning differences. I just processed information differently. It was that counter rebellious nature that started off from that educational experience and then going into service and essentially seeing in order to make money, it's like go onto the selling floor, make money that way. And then realizing, you know what, at the end of the day, it's really about operating within the confines of the world that we live in and playing the game within those confines so that you then earn the power to then drive the changes. And so thinking about how I graduated high school, how I graduated college, how I ended up making a lot of money in hospitality and then ended up rising to this leadership position within the company I work for now. It's just demonstrating how sometimes following the rules of the culture, whether it's a dater following the rules of dating culture, and then ultimately within the system that they're abiding by, challenging or questioning, or maybe just 
speaking. I think speaking up, using your voice and communicating with conviction. I think that really does wonders in terms of allowing other people to see other ways and I know that we live in a culture that can be really judgmental, but at the end of the day, I know that the more we question things and the more we even question our own dating patterns and the more we question the way the world works, the more that we can start to see more opportunities. And I love it when I meet people who have that deep conviction in themselves to know that they can make a difference in the world because they are the ones who will play the system to change the system. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. I love that. I, I completely agree. And I, you're changing the system on, you know, in your ways and what you do and leadership and assembling this team of matchmakers. And I'm doing it on an individual level of my clients and really helping them to approach dating and connection in a different and deeper way, which I think is so necessary in our culture, because right now, I I don't know if you agree with this, and I'm curious to know if you do, but I believe that we're in a modern dating crisis. Would you agree with that? I think a lot of the time people get in their own way, and I think that certain cultural barriers are replicated through the dating culture. And it's up to the people who are in the positions of power like us to essentially just take a stand on what we believe in, whether it's dating equality, whether it's just social justice, but you see that playing out on the front lines of dating. I think dating is just another arena to witness politics at work. And how do you, or are your matchmakers dealing with social justice issues and equality issues in, in matchmaking? Because like you said, you know, dating, dating is obviously, it's just a mirror of what's going on culturally and what we value as a culture and our biases as a culture and, you know, what we think makes someone worthy and all of that. And so it makes sense that the discrimination that we see in our wider culture, of course, that's going to also take place in dating. You know, Amy, Amy Van Doren. Yes. I've, I've never met Amy, but I've heard wonderful things. Okay. So Amy is, she's my matchmaking BFF (laughs) (laughs) and I love her and she's fantastic. And, you know, and she talks about this too, because she's like, she gets really frustrated sometimes because she's like, my clients are so racist. Not all of her clients. I mean, she works with really amazing people, but she just, she definitely has like, she's like, people are just so racist. And even if they're so politically liberal and this and that, she's like, when it comes to dating, people get real, like a lot of their bias and prejudices really come to the forefront. So I'm wondering how are you and your team, like how are you dealing with those issues? Yeah, when a matchmaker comes to me and they say, I have a client who's ageist, I have a client who is racist, I have a client who is essentially um, just a body shamer. There's so many different ways that I witness discrimination on the front lines of dating. What I always tell the matchmaker is if a value of yours is being triggered, you have a few options. You can continue to work with that client knowing that this will be a challenging client for you and an opportunity to really make a difference in their mindset and potentially make a huge difference in the world. I tell them if it's so triggering that it's getting in the way of you being able to give that client a great experience and give that client the love that that client has come for, then definitely bring it to our leadership team because we have different teams to support the matchmakers. I also believe that sometimes when you are looking at people, they have biases that they're not aware of. And it's just a matter of asking them questions throughout and asking them to take a deeper look at themselves. And over time, I find that it's just an incredible thing to just witness 
how people can become more open-minded and they can take responsibility for, I think, who they are more than anything. I think when you can take ownership of your identity and realize that it's not about the person's race, it's not about the person's age, it's not about the person's weight. It's really about what you want to feel and it's about what qualities of yours you want to have your partner bring out. And when the client can come to that moment of awareness, I think that's really when the matchmaker is able to really drive them forward in just experiencing more love in their lives. I think the illusion that exists in dating culture is that finding a partner means coming up with criteria. And I think that's the illusion in life. I think in terms of the barriers that get in the way of connection and relationships, it has a lot of it has a lot to do with the outside world when in fact it's people's inner worlds that are what's blocking them from experiencing more yeah Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And it's so hard because um, it's it's really hard for a lot of people because we have so much cultural conditioning around love oh, yeah. and it's all very externally focused. It's like, find this person who looks like this and has this kind of job and this kind of interest and, and somebody that you're super attracted to and that you can be sort of proud, like, look at this person, look at this catch, right? Like they're this high, tall, they have this kind of body, they like make this much money and all of these things. And you have a lot of people who are dating from that place and they're not paying attention to the fact that when you are with a person, when you're in a relationship, when you're building a life with someone, like all of those those superficial things that you've been conditioned to value over all else, they become irrelevant real fast. <laughs> I know for myself, I get inspired by energy. And when you look at just the type of guy I'm attracted to, it's always so different. It's like, I know it comes back to power, passion, and purpose, but yeah. it's like to see the physical embodiment of that, it's just so different. But if you yeah. looked at the energy of these guys, it's pretty much the same, where it's calm, power. And it's important that when you forget about the physical and when you just tap into the way that someone compliments you energetically, energy is something that I study. And the energy leadership index assessment is something that I do with a lot of people, but it shows, it shows your energetic frequency and it shows the wave of consciousness that you're on. And for me, I resonate in level six a lot, which is we are the same, which is we always win, we are all the same. And when I meet people who are on that consciousness, who can look at me and I feel seen and they feel seen and we feel like we are one, that is a very unique level of consciousness. It is, it's so beautiful. But in dating culture, you're gonna see sometimes people operating in level two and level two is I win, you lose. So it's Mm -hmm. me versus you. A lot of the time when you see the way those people date, it is always the battle of ego. Like, oh, you did this and always blaming and always fighting. And I know that the way that swiping culture is set up, it really exacerbates the ego. Sometimes just to tap into more spiritual consciousness means really taking a step back to ask yourself, when in your life have you felt most deeply connected? When in your life have you felt most deeply understood? What was it about that person that allowed you to feel so seen? And it's that recognition that can really guide people forward. The world would be such a different place. And everyone would be in a really fulfilling relationship if that was the criteria that we used to get into relationships. We're human. So it's like, it makes sense that it's not completely. I think it's, (laughs) I think it's really cool. Teacher of mine, she says, we are a hundred percent human. 
and we are 100% spiritual. And when Stacy said this, I thought to myself, oh, wow, it's okay to be human. It's okay to have human yeah. desire. It's okay to have human needs. Mm-hmm. It's a matter mm-hmm. of experiencing the fulfillment too. And I know that in order to really experience fulfillment, it is to tap into more of your spiritual values because those are the values underlying yeah. the human needs a lot of the time. Oh yeah. I mean, all of our primary human needs, I believe are truly spiritual. And, but, you know, going back to what you said about like energy and the balance of energy and really how you feel when you're with another person, and that connection, I can also relate to that. And I, you know, if you lined up all of the guys that I've dated, well, especially the ones that I've been the most connected to and really had like that deep synchronicity, (laughs) like they look real different, (laughs) you know, like outwardly, they, they, you know, they do not belong in the same lineup, right? (laughs) So funny. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I've always been really sensitive to energy too, even though I didn't have that you were using the language of energy from a very young age and I wasn't. I even though I wasn't using that language is still something that I've always been incredibly sensitive to and so grateful for that because I've never I've never had a situation except for one time and this is an example of not listening to my intuition like just blatantly overriding it because I was like, no, I should like this guy. He's this, he's that. I should like him. I don't know why I don't, but I should. So I'm going to date him anyway. The shoulds get in the way so many times. Yeah. (laughs) The shoulds, right? Yeah. So I totally ignored my intuition. And that was the one guy that I've ever dated who I feel like is really, and not to judge him as like, not a good person, but like, (laughs) Kind of like he just, he was not, he was not in, who knows where he is now, what his journey has been, but he was not in a place to be a kind, respectful, loving partner that I need. And, um, but he's the only guy like that I ever dated. Otherwise I have a really good radar for that. Cause I can just tell like, oh, yeah. you are a person who I can trust you. Like you're a safe place for my heart. I, I feel seen, I feel accepted. You know, I've always had a good intuition for that. Thankfully, I'm so grateful for that. But it's always shocking to me how many people will consciously know that they feel good when they're with another person. They don't feel, you know, they feel off kilter or they feel a little uncomfortable or they feel tense or they feel stressed or, but they still will continue to date that person because outwardly that person looks like the kind of person that they want to be with. Yeah. It's the social conditioning. It's for so long you hear from your parents. Well, this is what constitutes power. This is what constitutes our vision of your future. And the shoulds, the shoulds are so ingrained that it becomes so common where people settle or they compromise what they're looking for because they see things lining up on paper. And it's that really cool thing to even witness when somebody comes in with a long list and you give them exactly what they want on that long list. And then they realize, you know what? That's not what I want. But sometimes it's, again, play the system, the changes system. If somebody gives you a list, show them what it is like to date somebody with that list. (laughs) And then potentially um, the I'm not enough or it's not enough, that comes up. And then that's a conversation that when you confront that conversation head on, that is where you begin to take responsibility. I know it's that moment of true recognition of, okay, it's up to me to figure out who I am, what my values are, and use my values to guide me forward. It's definitely different than, okay, the outside world or the matchmaker is responsible for finding me my dream person. That's a very different approach Mm. to dating. Very different. 
hugely different approach. I wonder how often does it happen when you have clients coming to your company who have the list, the super long list. And then as they start to have that awareness, this awakening of like, oh, wait, this is, I got to take a step back here, right? I'm not paying attention to the right things. I'm not prioritizing the right things. How often does it happen that people are just like, okay, I'm not ready to get into a relationship because I need to do some deeper work here on really knowing myself and my values and my needs and all of those things. Like, does that, does that happen? It does happen a lot. And part of the reason why I went into coaching and became a coach was because I knew so many clients and so many just people in dating culture at large could benefit from looking within. What I have basically shifted within myself when I'm looking at just our company and just considering what success means. I realize the outcome of relationships might not be the outcome that a client experiences when they come to us. I realize it might be the personal development and the self-awareness that you get through going out there and having each date bring things up. I've really let go of outcome and I think that's really freed me to just do what I do, which is I raise awareness. And I think that the matchmakers too, within Talkify and then in the matchmaking industry, we all could benefit from realizing we're here to be light workers. We're here to be love workers. We're here to, I love the article you posted just about the different prototypes or archetypes of people's purposes, but whether you're a beacon, whether you are an anchor, whether you are a storyteller, whatever you are, you're going to exercise that purpose within the playing field of matchmaking. And when you exercise that purpose and you show up with the knowingness that you're here to embody your purpose and then have an impact on others, that's success to me. When people are able to just purposefully go about connecting others and just share love. Because although we want to get people into relationships, at the end of the day, people are investing in receiving love. And the first person to show the love is the service professional. That's really how the matchmaking has shifted for me over the years, where I used to think, okay, it's all about getting people into long-term relationships. But today it really is about the journey. And I've brought that same philosophy to higher playbook, where it's about perfecting your skills, perfecting your voice, using your platform to make a difference. Yeah. Same philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It really is about being of service. And I love the that idea, the role of the matchmaker as a light bringer and a love bringer and not having it not be this outcome focused thing, which is, again, one of the reasons why, I mean, I, I love that you are bringing that, this to the this philosophy and this approach to the matchmaking space, because that's one of the reasons I had to get out of the matchmaking space, because I just didn't see that there because I saw so much focus on the outcome of like, just got to get somebody in a relationship so you can check that box and say, I did it you know, I've got this success rate and that success rate. People always ask me like, oh, well, what's your success rate with your clients? And I consider my success rate to be a hundred percent because of how we define success, right? Like, you know, somebody comes to me and they aren't comfortable dating and they've been in, they haven't been in a relationship in five years or 10 years or maybe ever, or not as, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, the situation is like, 
in three months, the, the goal is not that they're going to, you know, be engaged, right? So it's like the success is that they have the self-awareness, they have the confidence, they, you know, are deepening their self-love, they're understanding their values and the kind totally. of partner that's going to be a compliment for that. So if they get there, that's leaps and bounds ahead of where they were and that's success, right? So it just depends on where you are in that journey, but we are so outcome oriented and it's like, wait, is there a ring on the finger? There's no ring. <laughs> I love, I was a guest of yours jumping from level three to level 25 overnight doesn't happen. It's really about meeting people where they are and then shifting them a few steps forward. And then the acceleration and the exponential growth that can happen after is often the rewarding part where somebody comes back to you a few years later and they tell you, Franny, you really changed my life. Yes. And that's, I love when that happens. I love when that happens. And that's how it goes sometimes. It's like, yeah, they need a year or two years of going deeper and working more and having more confidence and getting more dating experience and having more relationships. And then it all clicks, right? And um, it's so beautiful. And for anyone who's like, doesn't um, know what Jules is referring to, I, I had a guest on named Amari Ice. And I've literally quoted him like every episode <laughs> since he was on because I just love this quote. I did it again. I did it again. I know. I was, I love his, it's just so perfect. It's just that, you know, there are a lot of people and he, the, the, the analogy um, is to a video game The you know, but when it comes to relationships, there are people who are at level three and they're trying to have a level 25 relationship. And I see so many people getting staying single and staying stuck because they are not understanding and acknowledging that they need to do the work to get to level four. They need to do the work to get to level five. They need to do the work to get to level six. And I think part of it is that we have all of this cultural messaging around love that it's supposed to be this thing that just happens, you know, starting with like the fairy tales and the romantic comedies and all these things that it's like, there is no historical focus on self-growth or development or self-knowledge when or even self-love really when it comes to getting into relationships yeah um, have you done the energy leadership index assessment i have not actually i'm kind of bringing that up because when it comes to levels and having a client being able to see their attitudinal progress i became a certified practitioner in energy leadership because I wanted people to have that moment of awareness where they can look at their energy and they can see on a scale of one through seven where their energy is resonating. And so you can literally be in level three and then to see somebody shift from level three to level four is tangible by just doing this attitudinal assessment at the beginning and at the end of a client's experience. Ooh. And so, um, at Higher Playbook, I give every client the Energy Leadership Index Assessment to begin as a way of being able to take a snapshot of where you're at and then at the end to be able to do that again and be able to see the shift that someone experienced in their journey. It's an intangible measure that we capture and it's actually something that a lot of Forbes executives use in business, but applying it to people's love lives, applying it to people's career development, personal development, however which way you want to apply it, it's one of those tools that can allow that question, how do you measure your success to really be captured in a more tangible way? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing tool. I do like my own version of that, but that sounds fantastic. I want to um, ask you a question about 
in Talkify and working with clients one-on-one, you're able to affect this, you know, this change on an individual level, which is where it all begins. But what do you think that as a larger dating culture or, or larger dating industry, like what do you think are some of the, I don't know, this might be a, a, not a fair question, <laughs> but what do you think are are some of the changes that should start to happen for people to be able to make deeper connections? I think it starts with leadership and it starts with education. And I think the answer to this question can apply to any arena, whether we're looking at the dating arena, we're looking at politics, we're looking at any industry where there's reflections being shined back at you. So what I look at in dating culture is the people like the matchmakers, the people like the coaches are the leaders. And in every conversation, it's this micro exchange where the power of questioning. Aren't just, questions the best? I'm obsessed with questions. I'm obsessed with asking myself questions and asking other people questions. Yeah. <laughs> and being curious and, and coming in and essentially creating more understanding through dialogue, creating more understanding through conversation. So much of the time when daters are stuck or daters are tied to their patterns or their ways, so much of the massaging comes through conversation. And so some would say you massage the expectations. I think it is all about creating space so that when a person has that moment of pause to reflect, reflection is one of the first steps to then be able to essentially try something new and see how it feels. And if you don't like it- That's so hard for some people though reflection it is like yeah it is hard yeah Mm -hmm. we're such a busy culture we're such a go 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 culture that it is definitely hard to have people stop but reminding people that what is it that you really want and then questioning if what they've been doing has allowed them to experience the success they want and sometimes it's those two questions that allows people to say you know what i want to try a new way i want to try a new approach responsibility though is at the heart of it all it totally is and yeah i mean you're 100% speaking my language and you know and this it's always kind of shocking to me when i talk to people who are like you know they're so smart they're so successful they're so aware in so many ways but then you start to ask them really basic questions about, you know, their values and, you know, what they really want and how they want to feel in a relationship. And they just don't have answers to those questions. And that's just fascinating to me, I think, because I'm just like such a naturally introspective person and I've just always been. So I'm like, what do you think about if you don't think? I'm like, I don't understand what else there is to think about. <laughs> but I, I'm always definitely challenging people to just it's kind of going back to the, the the conversation about intuition. Like in order to hear what your intuition is telling you, you have to create the space where there's enough quiet and you're not so yeah. plugged in and you're not so distracted and you're not so going, going, going all the time in your brain all the time because, you know, your intuition doesn't speak through your brain. It's not, it's not coming from your mind and from your reasoning. It's coming from a much deeper place of a much deeper wisdom everything that you said, I just, I completely agree with it. And I think that that's so powerful. And I'm really glad that you are in the world and spreading the message that you're spreading and doing the work that you're doing. I love that you're in the world being the expert. And I want to share something about human design again, because I heard this yesterday and it's really great for projectors. The language that this woman, Chris Prochesca used is 
be the invitation. Mm -hmm. So that's a instruction for the projector to be the invitation. Mm -hmm. I love that. And it's um, just a shift in perspective versus waiting for the invitation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's like make the invitation inevitable because you're just being so powerful in, in what you're doing and the change that you're trying to affect in the world. It's like, it's so cool. Oh my gosh. Well, I have one last question for you. And I think you basically kind of answered this already and all the amazing things that you've already said, but I do like to ask this question of my guests. So if you had a megaphone and that was loud enough for the whole world to hear, what, and you could send out one message about love, what would that message be? We're all the same. We're all the same. And I know when people can look at whoever they meet with, that knowingness that we're all the same. There's more trust. And when there's trust, there's more love. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. And I'm so grateful for you for coming on the show and sharing your amazing perspective. And this is very, I think this is going to be really helpful for people to start to have that paradigm shift, yeah. right? And how they're approaching their connections and their relationships. And, you know, especially for people who are listening to this and who are single and hoping to meet someone. But I think even if you're in a relationship, it's still important to, you know, to think about these issues. So how can people get in touch with you? I'm obviously going to link to, you know, your social media and whatever else you would like in the show notes. Just tell our listeners how they can follow you, stay in touch with you. How can we support you in doing the amazing work that you're doing? You can check out Talkify. You can check out Higher Playbook. Friend me on LinkedIn. I love connections. So I'm a connector. So I love to just meet new people and I'm very grateful to you, Fran. I really love that you were receptive to a conversation that is a little bit high level where we're not talking story. We're really talking paradigm. And when people are resonating on that level of just awareness and you too want to make that difference, I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to really be in the driver's seat to just create shifts and that can be in dating that can be in culture at large so i'm just excited because i um love that we can connect in the topic of love but ultimately we're talking something much larger than love we're talking fulfillment and we're talking purpose and we're talking having people really feel fulfilled at the end of the day so you can do that through partnership you can do that through personal awareness. There's so yeah. much, there's so much more to explore. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Jules. Thank you, Fran. This has been wonderful. Thank you. This has been awesome. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you. This is great. And there you have it. My conversation with Julia Armet. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to check the show notes for links to Julia's social media and to her LinkedIn and to Talkify in case you want to learn some more about Talkify and how they work. And I invite you to stay in touch with me. I am at Dear Franny on all social media and I am at Dear Franny Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. For those of you who have taken the time to write a review and to rate the podcast five stars, I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much. If you are enjoying the show and you haven't yet done that, please do. It definitely helps. It helps more people discover the show. And um, I really appreciate that feedback. So thank you. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for rating and reviewing. And thank you for being you. I know that your time is precious and I don't take for granted that you have chosen to spend some of it today with me. And so I thank you wherever you are in the world. I hope you have a beautiful day. Till next time.